Welcome to episode three, part two. Here's a quick recap of the ground we covered, just in case you're not on a big oofs only bender. Yeah, children don't don't need things made for them anymore. Family. Old people being very lonely, we shouldn't just- Death. Completely unprompted small talk. And more alone time. <laughs> okay, anyway, so another version of community that I feel like really festers, I guess festers is kind of negative, it really grows on the internet is fandom community or community that's very- Maybe it's Freudian, the reason why you use fester. Potentially, but it's like community around a thing you really like, an interest that you have rather than your identity or kind of it becomes your identity depending on the fandom you're in. Talk about the the people you're a fan of, but whose fandoms you hate. I want to hear about them. Okay. How, like, not like Swifties. Like Swifties. You're a yeah. huge Taylor Swift fan. Yeah, it's like I don't have I don't have specific hate against any of these fan communities. I just don't think I identify with them or I particularly care to like affiliate myself to them. So like yes, as Kimberly said, I love Taylor Swift, but I I'm not like crazy about it. I understand that people have criticisms of her and I just personally love her and Swifties kind of terrify me because really they, I think they're just so dedicated or it's so much at the forefront of people's identities. And I remember seeing this tweet that was like, if I get murdered, I don't want the police on my case. I want Taylor Swift's fans. And I feel like that says a lot about just how much I think she really engages with them in terms of like leaving all these Easter eggs and they like go read into everything and stuff. And I like kind of like reading about it, but I really am not someone who is so invested in like whether or not Taylor Swift is secretly signaling to us that she's going to have a baby. Like I don't really care until she tells us she's having a baby and then I'll like her Instagram post or whatever, you know? Or I really like Gossip Girl, but I think if I met someone and one of the first things they said to me was I love Gossip Girl, in my head that signals the type of person that I would not be a fan of. Or not to say that I'm like special, but I kind of feel like I like things for a different reason than most people like them sometimes. So I think I read this thing where they discussed how like people really hate, not you specifically, but like there's a hatred or disdain for van girls, like tween girls who are really, really into something. And it's like, just because it's like fun to hate them and make fun of them for loving something so much, but really like it's a manifestation of like teenage or pre-tween angst where like girls, they go and they take their energy out into loving something wholeheartedly becoming obsessed with it. And like young boys don't have that outlet. So instead they go into like killing people in video games. So like, it really doesn't make sense to belittle young women for getting so into these things and like developing like a cult-like fascination with their idols, because it's really just them taking out that angsty pubescent anger and aggression and energy somewhere. And it really made me think about like the way that we gender perception of different groups, like different communities, like young boy groups we see as like violent and dangerous and young girl groups we see as crazy kind of in a similar vein I feel like we as a society just hate teenage girls we shit on them in every way possible like they're already dealing with our impossible beauty standards and like a lot of like objectification and body dysmorphia but then also if teen girls love something it's seen as not as good or it can't have critical acclaim you know I feel like a lot of musicians that I I guess I really like because I was once a teen girl, but they get kind of boxed in and they get described as like something that teen girls would like, but it's not, it doesn't seem like it would be for everyone else. Especially I feel like like Sean Mendez, I think has this problem where people dismiss him because all, most of his fans are women, but it's like, what does it matter that most of his fans are women? He has fans and that's an accomplishment. 
Yeah. And or so like the way that people, people were like, ooh, like 50 Shades of Grey became kind of a dirty thing to look down on. But guys watch porn all the time and it's way more disgusting and it's equally toxic, but it doesn't receive nearly as much hate as 50 Shades of Grey or like Twilight did even. Yeah, and I feel like the hate gets a weird, like, intellectual, like, oh, I don't like it because it's low quality, but, like, the plot line and premise of porn is not high quality intellectual shit. No. I think it's also, like, you know, there's that type of guy that I think Twitter always likes to try to bully. Like, the guy who thinks, like, oh, my taste is really good and really unique and special, you know, I love the Rolling Stones and IPAs. And we wouldn't call that basic naturally, even though that is really basic, right? Like we, basic is often used to dismiss women's taste and like what women like, even though it's like something can be basic because it's popular and it's good. It doesn't have to be a negative term. Yeah, actually, I didn't think about how like basic is a very women-centered term. At least like recently, I think it's become a little more gender neutral where I've seen I've seen memes that are like, I'm a basic boy starter pack. And it's like favorite color, blue, favorite dog, golden retriever, really obsessed with Marvel and also the office. And it's like, I don't actually hate people who like any of those things. Most of this is good shit. Yeah. You know, like blue is a nice color. Golden retriever is fucking awesome. But we belittle people for like belonging to a part of a community that like doesn't have quirky or like quote intellectual tastes. They're like, I'm into pink Floyd, therefore I'm too good for golden retrievers when these things are completely unrelated. Yeah, I feel like in general, I don't like this kind of like subconscious policing of taste that we have. I really hate when people use the term guilty pleasure because why should you be guilty if you like it, you know? Because I think it it often is a term that's used for things more often that women like. And it's usually a girl trying to disassociate herself from that basic idea where they're like, oh, my guilty pleasure is The Bachelor or Gossip Girl. I understand that The Bachelor and Gossip Girl are not the highest form of art, but we don't always need the highest form of art and it's enjoyable and you shouldn't feel guilty and lots of people like it. So clearly there's some merit to it. I I had this conversation, I don't remember when, with somebody at one point where I basically said, reality TV, like The Bachelor, Keeping Up with the Kardashians, Jersey Shore, like the Real Housewives or whatever, all of that is like the female coded equivalent of sports. Sports is reality TV. You idolize the characters, you root for them, you want to see the kind of fights and drama that they get into, even if it's like within a set of structures and rules. It's basically the same shit. But people are not mad about sports fans in the same way that they demean people who are into reality TV. And it's like, please let me watch Love Island in peace. It does not make me stupid. I thought you were going to say, please let me demean everyone in peace. (laughs) (laughs) No, we should be able to enjoy our shit without like being mad about other people enjoying their shit. I fully agree with you, but then also... I don't have issue with if you enjoy The Office. I don't personally like it that much. But I also still take issue with people who like, they think peak comedy and humor and everything they talk about is The Office. Anyone who is like, brings up their fandom all the time, like rabid Harry Potter fans terrify me. I like Harry Potter, but I don't care enough about it or the kind of type of person that I'm imagining. It isn't even like they're a teenage girl and they're bad. It's just a person who seems annoying in my head. I don't know. I see like attachment to that extent to a TV show, uh, an idol, like a K-pop star, whatever it may be, as like, it's about an attachment to the community that forms around it Mm -hmm. as much as it is an attachment to the object of fascination itself. 
like I'm not part of one of these so I don't actually know but that is part of my guess you know like you like feeling that belongingness and then you kind of feed off of each other and then you kind of don't leave that fascination alone because you want to feel more of that sense of belonging but I think the reason why I personally sometimes get annoyed with people who are that into like just one thing and make it their whole identity is because I feel like they don't have an identity beyond that and that becomes not interesting to me. Yeah, that's true. It's more of a flattening and not about the actual thing, I guess. I think another like facet of community and fandom that I think is really interesting is kind of how certain TV shows have gained a cult following and their discussion forums and there's all these theories on Reddit and things. I'm thinking like Game of Thrones probably is the one that I've personally like looked at or Westworld. Mm-hmm. And I think it's an interesting phenomenon because TV used to be like you sit in your house and you watch it with your wife or whatever and it's not super social but to have that kind of discussion around it and to have that community was really interesting but it also kind of backfired in some ways in that I feel like the writers of TV shows also obviously can see this community and I wonder if that dialogue has been beneficial or negative to how TV shows proceed since they're continually being written or like you know how some characters on shows like they were not supposed to stay but then fans really liked them and so then they got they were kept I feel like that's more likely to be communicated on the internet where writers and producers and directors could see like people really like this person versus before when TV didn't have as much of a feedback system. Mm -hmm. No, I definitely agree that the writers didn't get to see as much feedback before as they do now, but I think I might disagree with the idea that there wasn't as much discussion or theorizing about what was going on with characters or the plot in between episodes on normal cable, like scheduled TV, because Mm -hmm. I Like before even cable TV, where there's like episodes per week, there were stories that came out like once every newspaper publication, like Sherlock Holmes was published this way. I'm pretty sure like Dickens was published this way too. And part of the phenomenon, the enjoyment was like reading the story. But then like, as you waited the whole week for the next segment, you discussed with everybody else who read the same newspaper, what was going on, like what's happening with the characters, where the plot is going, like what you think is happening. And maybe the feedback's not as strong or as immediate for the author, but there's definitely still a community built around like speculation and the plot and the characters and stuff. So yeah, I think there's always been like little fangirl we say fangirl, but that's so gendered because it's everybody. Fan groups built around all of these narratives, but they were just, they weren't online. They weren't documented and you had to have geographic access to the people around you to talk about it. That's true. That's very true. Also, I think it's funny. You're right. Fangirl has such a different connotation than fan of something. But I think fanboy is now coming in to the vocab of the times. Yeah, I feel like I still see it more as like a comical, like it's kind of an ironic term rather than like fangirl, I feel like specifically refers to certain types. Yeah. And now a quick word from our sponsors. This podcast episode is sponsored by Plant-Based Plants. They were out here before plant-based meat and they'll teach you just how irresponsible you are when you forget to water them for weeks. Use the code BIRTHCONTROLIMPLANT2020 for 0.00001% off your purchase of a Taraxacum Aficionale. I don't know if I pronounced that right. Returning to the idea that fan bases are something that we generally look down on or that we demean, there are, I think in like academic circles, there are huge groups of people who 
fangirl over specific philosophers or certain academic ideas or just for fucking nerd out about something really like highbrow, but we don't classify it as fangirling, fan service, fanboy, fan group, fan base, because fan is seen as something that's like you're just obsessed with it for no reason, whereas deep academic interest has like elitist roots to it. But I know people who are like, I'm obsessed with Derrida. And I'm like, that you're just fangirling. Or like how the the in- Inferno is just fucking Dante, like doing fanfic for Virgil. <laughs> like, we don't speak about it that way because we see it as like high literature, powerful, whatever. Yeah, I think something interesting that came to mind when you were talking is one of the negative things I associate with fans or like a fan base is how just completely defensive they will be about whatever they're a fan of where like if you're like oh I didn't like this one song by this person they're gonna attack you or it feels like they're like no she's perfect she can do no wrong and there's that kind of obsessive defensiveness that really scares me because I feel like I'm very open to like you can criticize most things and I won't take it but like I'm not personally offended and I guess that's tied to like how much your fandom is your identity but I definitely feel like I have seen like academics who are so deeply defensive about their particular concept or theory that they are also kind of rabid fans. Wow we very much strayed from the original topic of the disintegration of the community because now we're talking talking about it's like it's reappeared or like reinforced in other places. Yeah, I guess the reinvention of the community is now where we're at, but not necessarily healthy or diverse ones. I guess in some ways they can be diverse because it can be interesting that like a very different person from you also liked the same piece of art or the same media and they might have taken very different things away from it. Yeah, I guess that is very true, but I think there's a tendency, maybe because of the typecasting for like what kind of person might like certain kinds of media, there's a tendency for everybody in a fan base to fall within the same demographic, especially when it's like something that we see only like pre-tween girls liking. Nobody likes Twilight except for a really specific kind of person. And maybe it's self-reinforcing because we think only a certain kind of person likes Twilight, so then Nobody else will join that group, but it's definitely true of certain fan bases. Yeah, I wonder why older people aren't fangirls. They're busy, like, raising children or something. I don't know. I guess they were fangirls of Fifty Shades of Grey. I I think also on in terms of online community, what I think is really interesting is for like visibility of different types of like sexuality and places on the gender spectrum. Mm-hmm. And people who are like, I had no idea like that my experience was more than just mine and people sharing that. And I think that's super meaningful and super cool. I feel like that's something that the internet has really made a big positive difference for. That's true. Like I think forming communities around marginalized identities when you're like unsure of that identity in and of itself makes sense. Mm-hmm. I still like on the other end of the spectrum, I'm afraid of becoming communities becoming too insular. Yeah. But I guess that really only applies to people who already know what identities they hold and aren't being oppressed for it. Also, I think it's funny when you were talking about like typecasting people, like when Spotify Wrapped came out and they're like, if you are a Mitski fan, you must be gay and sad. If you listened to Taylor Swift more than any other artist this year, you need therapy. And we love trying to categorize people based on their taste. 
but we love trying to categorize people period like yes, the number- but I feel like categorizing by taste is weird to me because it feels the least like it should correlate to your personality isn't it true that like I think I read somewhere that like you're most likely to fall in love with somebody who has the same music taste as you because it is actually a representation of something internal Maybe wait not really even- yeah I think Spotify needs to release a dating app then <laughs> I know we discussed earlier the return from like local markets to globalization and then back to like just trying to support local business. And I had a discussion with my professor one time. This is in a class about climate change and how like we were discussing how buying local is way better for the environment, right? Because there's just less shipping emissions. But we also don't want to return to an age where everything is so local that there begins to be like, almost like tribalism, like forming such a tight bond with your local community that you then do not understand communities beyond that. And then you start fighting with bordering communities, which is like somehow something that happens, like arises pretty naturally when you have too insular of a local community. So like, I guess in my mind, I see the internet and internet communities as a way to bridge that gap where we can reduce the travel of like goods and like physically traveling also is pretty bad for the environment. Like airplanes are terrible. You leave a big impact every time you go on vacation to somewhere far away, which is really sad because I love traveling and you want people to see the world and experience people from different cultures and food from different cultures and just traditions from different places. But it's also like not eco-friendly. So how do you balance the two? And I think I see the internet as a medium or technology as a medium where you can experience it maybe secondhand. Maybe when VR gets better, it'll feel like it's firsthand. Hyperreal. Um, Hyperrealism. But you'll still be able to like support local, feel local, belong local. So I like I don't know where the balance is there either. International community versus local community. Yeah, that's a that's a good point. Although we already have like tribalism and infighting now, so might as well just go for it. <laughs> no, Anson, that's <laughs> terrible. <laughs> I think location-based community is just, it's still so hard for me to grasp because I feel like I am not super attached to any one place that I've lived, even though I grew up mainly in the same place. Mm-hmm. But I'm still kind of a sucker. I love when politicians are like, I was born and raised in this place and I want to fight for you. I'm still like, oh, great. You're more loyal than someone who moved here, even though that really doesn't indicate anything. I mean, part of that, part of your detachment and also my detachment to like our geographic place might also be because of that whole immigrant experience, liminal space identity thing though like our grandparents weren't born here our parents weren't born here I moved here when I was one so basically my whole life but it's I don't have like deep historical attachment to the area and my family doesn't live in this area either also because we don't look like 80% of the people in this town or have the same background as 80% of the people in this town it feels really hard to say like I'm anchored here because it also never really feels like you fully belong So that's kind of a different experience as well for us specifically. But also at what point, once you move somewhere and you live somewhere, do you get to say that you're from there? I feel like places like LA and New York City have this kind of weird discourse. LA is like, haha, everyone's from out of town or whatever. I feel like New Yorkers care a lot about like who's a real New Yorker, but Mm -hmm. who gets to gatekeep that and when do you get to feel like that? 
I was born in Canada, but I lived there for like maybe a year. And so, yeah, I'm like legally Canadian, but I feel, I would feel like such a poser to say that I'm, I'm Canadian and I'm like proud of it or whatever. Yeah. And I don't know at what point, like how long would I have to live in Canada for me to feel like that's really my identity or how long would I have to move to a city and stay there for to really get that sort of location-based identity community thing? I think maybe identification, at least for me in this area, has less to do with like being born here or the amount of time that I've been here as much as it has to do with feeling like I'm part of an in-group. I guess I wouldn't say I'm part of a in-group here in town just because I'm not in the majority. The culture here doesn't reflect me, but I don't know who it is supposed to reflect. I don't think it reflects anybody accurately, I guess. It's just that when you picture people from this area, they're included in that. Yeah, I guess what does any community, like what is it meant to reflect about the people in it? Because it can't be just one image since everyone is diverse. Ooh, academia, here we go. Um, That's kind of the notion of the inoperable community or the imagined community. Like it's not actually real. It's about the community that you imagine to be existent as opposed to actually representing the people who are there and whether or not you're included in the general imagination of that community. Sometimes I think it's really interesting. I feel like a lot of people I know, if they were to describe Houston, Mm -hmm. they're like, I really love it because it's diverse. Everyone always comments on how diverse it is, but I don't really know what it means to imagine a place and identify it by it being diverse because you're almost identifying it by being it being lots of different things. But I think the same goes for New York City. That's true. Also, I think the communities that we're willing to defend are based on our idea of the community, which is shaped by what we're valuing in the community, which might be completely different than what someone else values in the community. And I think that's an interesting consideration for when politicians are running for office and they're like, I'm going to represent the community. What does that mean to them versus what does yeah. that mean to different parts of the community? Like what community are they even imagining? Because clearly Rahm Emanuel's <laughs> imagination of the Chicago community was not super accurate. Yeah, and then I guess if you are a congressperson in a swing district that's like legitimately 50-50 Democrat Republican, what are you representing? <laughs> Who are you? Like what are you what are you really to, to accurately represent? Are you just supposed to I guess you're supposed to just try to centrist middle ground compromise your way, which is definitely hard now, but I think that's a very weird tension to negotiate. I think you have a very idealistic way of the way that representatives choose to represent their districts because I'm definitely hoping. most of them <laughs> I'm hoping. But it doesn't happen like that most of the time. I mean, obviously if it's 50-50, somebody gerrymandered wrong. God, I hate gerrymandering. Okay, I feel like we, um, I mean, there's still a lot of living left in this horse, but also we can't, we're not strong enough to exhaust it completely. It took me so long to understand where you were going. <laughs> so do you want to move into our holiday gift segment? Yeah. Okay. This is a little bit different from the other episodes. We're going to give you some gift ideas, fun and also practical, but because fuck Amazon and also consumerism is frequently unethical and you shouldn't be buying things that don't actually spark joy. Thanks, Marie Kondo. We'll give you some recommendations for better things to buy. Yay! Don't buy things that are going to get thrown away slash are useless, please! Please don't buy garbage. It doesn't help anybody and probably a small child in an impoverished country broke their back making it for you. Holiday magic. Ding, 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 ding. 
a gift that is all about altruism is making a donation in someone's name to a good cause, maybe a cause that they personally care about or advocate for. I think that's a very nice way to go, especially because I think a lot of charities do a pretty good job about letting you know kind of more tangibly, like how many meals you're contributing or who you're helping and they'll like send you stories and stuff. So I think it's a nice warm glow and a nice gift that really does good. A couple ones that I know about, I know Avondale Mutual Aid, which is in the Chicagoland area, is doing a toy drive. So you could always buy a toy and, you know, donate to a child in need instead of getting a friend a gift that they don't need. There's mutual aid groups all over everywhere. Instagram, especially if you just look up mutual aid. One account that I follow is Open Your Purse, which is open why are purse all in lowercase and they have a lot of calls for mutual aid i think uh mutual aid houston it's just mutual aid h-o-u on instagram to reiterate that we don't like amazon if you're buying books you can use bookshop.org which helps local independent booksellers and also better world books does the same because i would like our local bookstores to please not die that would be very sad and i'm very scared of amazon There's also an online store called Choose Love where you can buy essential items for refugees. So you can pay for hot food or for mental health support or a child's coat. So obviously you get nothing. You're just giving the money, but it's formatted like a store. And I think it's a nice idea, especially because when we closed borders for the pandemic, we basically left millions of uh, refugees and migrants in a limbo that is probably not going to be resolved for a while, even after the pandemic ends. I think also food banks, shelters for people who are Housing insecure, really important in the holiday season. Soup kitchens were really popular in previous years. I don't know how they're being run this year because of the pandemic, but if you feel safe enough to volunteer to help out the houseless population again this winter, that would be a really great place to put your time. But again, only if you feel safe doing so. Also not really a gift, but just call people and have conversations with them, especially your relatives and old people, because they're probably extra lonely. Ooh, I think I saw a thing online where you can donate your time to call old people during the holidays. So you can look that up. I can't remember exactly what it's called, but maybe we'll we'll link it in the description. There we go. Uh, Another idea that I saw that was cool is there's a company that sells like 35 millimeter camera kits where it's like a plastic camera that you assemble yourself. And then once you put film in, it works, which I think is cool if you know someone who likes to build things. This is not a gift, but it's an eco-friendly Christmas tree choice. I mean, it's probably too late for this year, but maybe for next year where you can rent a little tree in a pot and you don't have to cut it down or anything. It just stays in the pot and they deliver it to you. And then you get to keep up the holiday season and you return the tree back to the company at the end of the holidays. And then I think you can request the same tree several years in a row so you can watch it grow. And then finally, after eight or nine years, they quote, retire the tree and it gets planted in a real forest with all of its friends. Another gift that I suggest is nice pajamas or slippers because everyone is hopefully staying at home. And I think that nice pajamas are not something I would personally buy for myself, but it's like, once you have them, it's comfortable, fun, also nice, cute slippers, especially I think for your parents. My mom loves slippers, but she's also like very frugal. So she would never like buy herself new slippers. Another one (laughs) for your extremely lonely friend who loves animes, you could get him a waifu pillow if you really wanted to. Hopefully a fully clothed, not misogynistic one. We're trying to advocate for women's rights on this podcast, but they just need something to hug. Body pillows are comfy. And if they want their favorite character printed on it, I guess that's an option too. 
Another, I guess, fandom-related gift is merch from a celebrity or a musician that your friend really likes is a nice one. I feel like that's something that if you're not, if you don't identify as like a super fan, you wouldn't necessarily buy for yourself. But it is nice, you know, like a poster or a t-shirt or something can be cute if it has a nice aesthetic. If I was going to get a gift that was really useful, it would be drugs. Yep, just drugs. No, I'm kidding. We don't... (laughs) Please don't arrest me, FBI man. <laughs> I'm not telling people to buy drugs. But if edibles are legal in your state, I'm not saying I'm telling you to, but I'm not saying you shouldn't. You could also buy therapy for yourself or your family so that you can actually care for each other in a non-toxic manner someday. Or a black market COVID vaccine because uh, <laughs> it's taken a while to get to the most of us. But if you're rich, wait your fucking turn. But if you're poor, don't? What is this? No, because you know how those really rich people with fucking private jets are like, look, I got them. They cut the line. They're like, I got the vaccine today. You know, mm-hmm. that seems unfair. Hot take. Yeah. I don't even know. Like if you were making like, like knockoff COVID vaccine, like what would you put in it? How would you sell that? It would have to be identical to the real one. It would just have to be like non-regulated, I guess. Mm. If a fake vaccine doesn't work, then it's not a vaccine anymore. That is true, yeah. Don't buy a black market code vaccine. Buy black market drugs if you're going to go on the black market. Isn't that like the only kind of drugs? There are non-black market drugs. I meant the illegal ones. Oh, yes. Or I guess you cross like state or national borders to buy drugs in a different country. Anyway, another another great gift that I think everyone needs is self-awareness. Some people need it more than others. So really evaluate the people you know and decide who needs some self-awareness and just whisper in their ear at night. Let them know who they really are and how they're presenting and how they're treating other people. And maybe they will reflect and become a better person. Or if you're non-confrontational, write Santa a letter and have him do it for you. Yeah, that's also an option. Santa's your middleman. <laughs> I wonder if any like really pushy parents who want grandkids like buy baby stuff or something and they're like, this is for your future baby. I could definitely see certain parents getting their kids like GRE prep books for Christmas. That's sad. I hate that. You think it doesn't happen though? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, Earth Hero. If you're looking for eco-friendly gifts, Earth Hero is like a sustainable online shop and they have really good options and they like research pretty heavily into where all their products come from. So if you've got an eco-friendly friend or you're an environmentalist yourself and you want to buy something that has a lower impact, Earth Hero is a good shop to check out. Yes. Also, if you're in the Chicago area, or I think they ship nationally, Zafiro is a zero waste store that sells like kitchen supplies and beauty supplies and things like that, that are reusable and usually like made of bamboo and stuff so that you can not ruin the environment as much a little bit. Look for fair trade labels and certified B cores, but I would be careful, like do a little bit more research than that because sometimes those certifications are a little lighter than we would like them to be. That's a different crisis, but yeah. Also buying local, supporting your small businesses. Uh, There are lots of little online stores that ship pretty widely and there are lots of independent businesses you can find on Instagram or online. There are lots of websites now that compile Black-owned businesses and Indigenous-owned businesses that you can help support this Christmas season, holiday season, Hanukkah season, insert season here. Just buying gifts for your friend's time. Or for yourself. Or for your dog. 
but don't buy them unnecessarily because that's capitalism convincing you you need more things than you do and they will not fill the hole left in your heart by your lack of community well do we have any advice then for people who are struggling with community this holiday season yeah, I think a lot of people are going to be lonely, even if they do have community, just because they can't be nearby. And I have no real good solution for you, but I know people are having holiday parties on Zoom. I think trying to call your friends and catch up with them and trying to have real conversation and checking in with people, I think can be helpful. I think this has been a year where it's gone on so long that you almost don't want to admit that you're not okay because it feels like you should be okay by now. And I think having those kinds of open conversations are valuable. I think sending friends gifts or maybe like trying to cook or make the same thing at the same time on FaceTime might be nice. You could try to find other lonely people on the internet, but be safe, please. You could also email us. We promise we'll respond because we don't get any fan mail. That's true. Our inbox is empty. Please say hi to us. We are also lonely people. Yeah, and I think like it's really hard to not be with family during the holidays for a lot of people who associate the holidays with tradition and like getting ready for the new year, but be safe. It would be even worse if somebody got sick as a result of your holiday plans. Probably feel even worse after that, so try not to do that. I mean, Anson and I used to hang out Christmas afternoon several years in a row. (laughs) Nothing else to do. Yeah, because we had nothing else to do because we don't have big families here in the States. So if you need advice for spending the holidays without your extended family, we have a lifetime of experience to share with you. I like how you claimed that, but then offered no real advice. I can't solve every problem. They got to email me something specific. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We hope that you do not hate teenage girls and that you find community if you don't have it already and you appreciate community if you do. And befriend old people because we think it's useful so that you can learn about death and also companionship. This has been Big Oops Only, the community episode. Bye. 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 Bye.